This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. I am talking to Daddy. This is me having a moment with my daughter. Hun, about the stress level. What? Well, it's a little high. Gee, uh, the kind of psycho thing you just did. Did you just call me psycho? No. Did you just call no. me psycho? No, no. It was a little psycho. This is me having a moment with some helpless newlyweds. We just wanted to say congratulations and savor this moment in your life. So when I started to speak, I I thought it would help, but then the words just started coming out of me like lava. You're gonna blink seriously, like blink, and it's all gonna be over and replaced with just volume, like just oh, amazing, amazing, beautiful. Look at that! Look at that look on her face. That's the look of a girl whose fairy tale just ended. I murdered it. I am a fairy tale murderer. It only takes so much before you crack. Having a moment. Uh, good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Mother's Day. Uh, not necessarily the way to kick Mother's Day off. Other than the reality that's expressed in that film. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've watched that film. It's become one of my favorites. It's, it's Mother's Day out from 2014, or Mom's Night Out. Uh, I keep, I keep mixing, uh, putting too many words in there. But it's Mom's Night Out. It's a, I really love the film, and uh, love because it it progresses from that point on, right? And uh, dads, if you're out there watching that film and you're like, yeah, I've seen that before, um, we all know that that we have those same issues, right? But they're just maybe in different places or at different times. But but it's. It's possible and probable, and probably this at some point, at least I can confess that this last week I had one of those moments. Um, not maybe to that ex- maybe so. You'll have to ask my wife Anna if I was to that extreme. But you have those moments where it's like just life is coming in, and families just stuff's happening, and you're like, "What in the world is going on?" Well, today we want to talk about family. Uh, because we've been in this series about fighting and, and how to fight life's battles and how to win in the midst of, of lots of different things that we face. And we want to we look at family because we know some things about family. And in fact, some really big things we know from the big story of, of Scripture that just three simple things I want to point you to. And then, and then as, uh, as KJ said in his prayer, there's some, some real wisdom that Scripture has has to give us and, and to show us so that we can thrive in this gift that family is. So the first three things about what family, what we know about family from scripture. One of the big things we know about family is that family is a holy entity. That is, families, family is put in place from the very beginning. You open up the book of Genesis and you hear about how God brings Adam and Eve together and God's got a design for family. And he puts it in place. It's his idea. It's, his, it's, it's put in place with his blessing. He looks over this thing and he says, you know, uh, multiply and fill the earth with, not with just people, but with, with family. And so family is God's idea. In fact, uh, family is so, so critical that one of, the, one of my favorite verses in Scripture comes out of Ecclesiastes where it talks about how, how two chords are really good, but three chords are hard to break. And when Adam and Eve walk in communion with God, it is a good, good thing. And when God sends Jesus into the world, he sends Jesus to marry his mother and, and stepdad Joseph. 
Family is really important for what God wants to do in the world. Uh, another big thing that scripture says to us is that all families have struggles. No matter um, where, they, where they come, what they're doing, every family has struggles. If you are in a moment in your life where you think you have some unique challenges that nobody else may be facing, I would encourage you to pick up a Bible, read through, well, just read through the book of Genesis. But if you want to keep going, you can keep going. But what you'll find there is that the families in the book of Genesis have a lot more issues than you ever hoped to have or want to have or could have. Um, is it okay to be, to be encouraged by other people's struggles? I, I don't know, but that's one of the things you're going to find is that other people struggle. You're going to have some identification. They struggle. And throughout all of Scripture, you're going to find families. You're going to find one of the pictures you're going to see is that families struggle to live into all that God has for us. But then here's the third thing you're going to see is that all families hang with the mic. We evidently have struggles in the sound system today. Uh, all families have holy possibility. All families have holy possibility. And what I mean by that is that there is no family that, is, that faces so many struggles that God doesn't come along and walk beside them. There is no family that God doesn't want to work in and work through to bring his goodness and his holiness and his beauty and, and all of the great things that, that are shared by God in, in the sense of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, God wants that life that the Holy Trinity shared to be the life of a family. And God works in families that, that go really well and in families that have great struggles. God, God never gives up on families. God is always available to us and at work with us. So, with that kind of being said, I want to take you to a book of, of the Old Testament called Ruth. And in, the, in that book, we see uh, three three bits of wisdom that can be really helpful to us uh, no matter where we're at in, in the sense of, of our family lives and how we're celebrating families. Three bits of wisdom that can help us experience the fullness that God would have for us. And just to set this, the text up that we're going to read, um, we find the, the two main characters, Naomi and Ruth, we find them, uh, when, when we hear the text, in a, in a real valley of life. Uh, Naomi... Her family's uh, story begins in the city of Bethlehem. And in the city of Bethlehem, she lived with her husband and, and her two sons. And Bethlehem endured a drought. And so to find a place where they could find food, they moved to a nearby a neighboring country by the name of Moab. And as they moved there, they settled her sons, Naomi's sons, found a couple of, of uh, girls, and they, they got married. And then in the midst of living in that place, uh, Naomi's husband and both of her sons died. And Naomi begins um, to, do, to, to do some self-reflection and to reflect upon where she's, she's at in her own life and where she's living. Uh, the drought ended in Bethlehem. And so she's not only thinking about herself, but she's also thinking about her relationship to God. Now, Naomi's name, if you were to unpack it in, in Hebrew, means pleasant. Um, but as Naomi begins to look at the full circle of her life, uh, she applies a different name to herself. And in fact, for a while, she will tell other people to call her Mara. 
Oh, help. I did this at the first service, too. I forgot the Mara. What's Mara mean? Anybody? Bitter. There you go. I can't believe it. That's tw two times in a row. Um, Mara means bitter. That's Naomi just tells everybody else, call my life bitter. That's where it's at. That's what she understands about her own story at the moment where we encounter her that things have gone wrong and she doesn't know what to do. And so, because she's heard that Bethlehem is without a drought, there's food back there, and she has no husband and no sons, she takes up a conversation with her daughters-in-law and she says, I'm gonna return to my city and I want you to return uh, to your people. So let's part ways. And in that mid, in, in, the, in the middle of that conversation, here is what the scripture tells us takes place. So all of them lifted up their voices and they wept. And Orpha, the other daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with Naomi. And Naomi said to her, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and her, to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me and more so if even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. And so they left. And they went a long way until they arrived at Bethlehem. There's three things that I see rising up out of this text and out of those marvelous words of Ruth to Naomi, that wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And I won't let even death separate the two of us. There's three things that I think are rising up out of Ruth's sense of devotion, out of her sense of, of loyalty in that moment that are marks of things for us when we find that family can sometimes be challenging. The first mark that I would like to suggest to us, well, there they are on the screen, aren't they? Real love, real faith, and real purpose. So let's talk about the first one, real love. Um, Naomi is really concerned about Ruth and Orpha when she says to them, I want you to go back to your own people and I'm gonna go to mine. One of the things that she had, um, in, in their culture, while her sons were alive, one of the things that she knew was, was capable for her was to provide for these girls, for Ruth and for Orpha. But now with her sons passed away, she has no capacity to be a, a person of provision. In fact, she looks at their situation, she's like, all of us have to be dependent upon other people, and other people that I can't in this moment produce. So, so she says, let's, let's part at this point. Um, it may seem like a cruel thing as you read it, but, but Ruth sees below the, the verbiage, and she sees that Naomi's heart is really full of love, full of love that says, I don't know what to do, but I've got to look out for, the, for your best, and I've got to sacrifice my own sense of, of surviving, and I've got to give to you a chance. I've got to give to you a sense of of a future. Ruth sees that. She knows that Naomi really deeply loves her. And so Ruth says, um, I'm going to go back with you. 
I don't know what the future holds for either one of us, but I am going to go with you. And, and that's when she says those, those marvelous words of, I want to go where you go, and your people are going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. Have, have any of you been to a wedding recently and heard those words? It, it strikes me that that's one of the texts, recommended texts, that's, um, that's in the liturgy for weddings. It strikes me that it would, would be in that place of a wedding because a wedding is a high moment, right? It's an apex. People get dressed up. Um, people, they put on their best. Thanks, Doug and Aaron, for this picture. Actually, Pastor Jim took this picture at, at their daughter's wedding. I mean, it is a point of celebration. Why would you bring out um, words that are spoken in the middle of this hard season? Because I think the truth of the matter is, is the hard seasons help test what kind of love we have. They test if, if our love is happy day kind of love or if it's, if it's real deep love that flows up, not just out of the heart, but flows out of a gut that says, I'm going to stay with you no matter what. And that's the kind of love that Ruth has seen in Naomi. And it's the kind of love she wants to, to express back. Um, second thing I want to talk to you about is where that kind of love comes from. Uh, real love seems to flow from real faith. Now, in the moment when Ruth is, or when Naomi is saying, you know, calling herself Mara and telling everyone else to call her Mara, she seems to have this idea that God has put a special curse or God has moved outside of her capacity, you know, placed her over here, and she's in, in trouble with God. So in her own sense of confession in the moment, she may not look like a saint, but Ruth is been with Naomi for more than just that moment, right? She's been with her and she's seen her life and um, she's seen her witness. She's, she's watched how Naomi's trusted God in the past and how Naomi's walked with God. And even in, the, even in Naomi's desire to return to Bethlehem, there seems to be like the smallest seed of faith. Like, I don't know I don't know if returning to Bethlehem is going to be good or bad. And I don't know if, if there's a place for me amongst God's people, but I am going to, I'm going to see if I can go to that place. There's just a small seed of faith. And Ruth watches that. Ruth has seen it. And so Ruth will say to Naomi, I want your God to be my God. Anna and I were married, uh, we're coming up on our 23rd anniversary, which seems crazy because I think sometimes, at least in my head, I think that I'm only like 25, but I, I know I'm older than that these days. Uh, when we got married, we, we had the marvelous opportunity to, to be around a number of people who were older than us. We, um, I took a job as a youth pastor at a Quaker church, of, of all things, and it was a marvelous um, Marvelous place to learn, to be encouraged, but also to be around people of, of many different ages. And some of the people we met there, uh, a couple, their names were Earl and Beverly. And Earl and Beverly probably were 
upper 60s, somewhere around 70, but they just they had a marvelous spirit about them. They encouraged us, uh, they prayed for us. Every time we were around them, we, we got, had a sense of joy and profound faith and love, deep love, and it was just, yeah, I hope you have somebody like that in your life, somebody that's just got this sense of magnetism. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you just know that they are happy people. And it's not just a, not a shallow happiness, but they are really, truly happy. Earl and Beverly were that, were that kind of people. But as we were around them, as we listened to their story, we realized that it wasn't a, a surface kind of joy or a surface kind of happiness. Because they knew what, they knew what it was to have challenges. One of their daughters, uh, while we were around them, had severe leukemia uh, in, in a severe form. And, and so one of the things that, that when we would be in their presence, they would talk about is they would talk about doctor's visits and, and where their daughter was going here or there. And if, if that wasn't enough at that moment, that particular daughter also had a son who had severe spina bifida. And, and that son had had, I think when we met them, somewhere around 60 surgeries. And so, you know, their life was filled, if you will, filled with some big challenges. And yet, as we'd enter into conversation, it wasn't like they would focus on the challenges. They would speak plainly, truthfully about the, those things. But they had this deeper sense that, that the life of God was flowing in the, in the midst of them. They talked of, in, in many ways about how well, I don't know if they talked about it, but they reflected the idea that Jesus talked about. Uh, as you abide in me, I'll abide in you. My life will abide in you. Jesus encouraged us to abide in him like, like branches of, of, of abide in the vine. And, and they seemed to have this, this pervasive expression. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't talk about it a lot, but they just lived it. But you know, that... God works all things, all things that come into the midst of our life, God takes and he works for the, for the good of those who love him. It just, they live that out. And as I thought about Earl and Beverly, I began to think, what is it that brought them to this place? Because they didn't arrive there, right? Like it wasn't a, something that they just had one day when they woke up and all these things hit them, but they, they grew in that. How did they grow to get to that place where they expressed that reality? Here are some things I think they, that helped them out. They had, um, they had some daily practices of, of spirituality. They would read scripture on a, on a daily basis. And they'd worship together with, with um, I almost want to say with friends and foes. But um, in fact, there were a few times they had some foes, but they worshiped. They kept going to the place where they were a part of a worshiping community. Um, they were generous people. They had a lot of struggles, and yet they continued to be concerned about other people who were around them. Also, what do we have? They, they love to play. Uh, there's one story about Earl taking a friend up in, a, in an airplane. Um, Earl grew up on a farm, and he was a farmer. There a lot, a lot of other farmers around them and in central Indiana, in the 1950s, there were a lot of farmers that had 
biplanes, you know, and they'd do barnstorming stuff. And Earl took a friend up in a plane and went up as high as he could go and put it in a nosedive and cut the engine. And uh, I guess he'd done it several times, but it was about the first time that he'd done it with that friend and, and that he had trouble getting that engine started. They both lived to tell about it, but they never talked about it much after that. Earl was a, he's crazy, but he loved to play, and they'd take their family. And he was their family with kids and grandkids, and they'd take their family to, to the lake, played together, and really played, played hard, had a great time playing together. They worked hard, and they looked out into the future. Had to plan, what were the next steps? What were the next steps to grow their business? And how are they going to grow the people around them, their, their kids and grandkids? And as they were, um, you see the word generous up there, but they were also humble. They were humble in, in their ability to forgive others. They were humble in their ability to receive help and to receive kindness. Sometimes I, I find it hard to be a recipient of generosity. You know, I like to be a generous person, but I find it hard to receive. They, they moved to a place where they were simply humble and they could receive and give generosity. And then I've got this final comment about Earl and Beverly I'd like to share with you. They, they leaned into the comfort of God in their sorrow. And they relied on the strength of God in their weakness. And they rejoiced in the goodness of God. And they experienced God's presence. That was the marvelous thing. It was to, to be around them. You know, you can list all the other things, but it's just like they walked with God. God walked with them. Um, a few years ago, Ann and I were going through uh, some difficult times and through a lot of different things. A witness like that had real meaning to us. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, let me encourage you to find somebody like that who has that sense of walking through some hills and some valleys and finding God faithful. The other thing that was really significant to us, and we're gonna sing it here a little bit later on, is, is Gunger's Beautiful Things. Because um, that song was just like us, an arrow into our hearts. That sometimes when life brings you to places where you think everything is just, it's just gone, there's a promise from God that he makes all things new. And, and real faith is to simply say, I don't know what's ahead, but I know that God makes all things new. So Ruth um, and Naomi, they've got real love, real faith, and real purpose. Uh, Naomi says, I don't know if I can do anything for you, Ruth, at this moment. You're going to come along, and I, I can't. I've said my piece, and you're going to come along. And Ruth is saying to herself inside, she's like, you know what? I know, I know now one of the things that God's asking me to do. God's asking me to help take care of you, Naomi. And so I want to go with you. And it's beautiful how God puts families together so that everybody in the family has a sense of purpose, right? Everybody can experience love, and everybody can express faith, and everybody has a sense of purpose. Now, one of the things as a young dad that I have loved to do introduce my kids to stuff. Recently, I got to introduce Kyrie to one of the, um, the big roller coasters at Silver Dollar City. 
That was that's the one that shoots you off like at 60 miles an hour, right? You're like, this is so much fun. And she loved it. Oh my goodness, she loved it. But introducing her to the, I mean, that's, that's a way that I got to do that. But a few months before, Kyrie Ann and I were at our house and her siblings were all downtown Springfield doing something. And so it was just the three of us. And we were reading, we are doing some stuff, and Kyrie said, you know what, Mom and Dad, you all need to learn some jazz steps, jazz dance steps. And I said, Kyrie, I, I know how to dance. I've danced with Pastor Jim. She's like, you don't know how to dance. That's not good enough. And so she, she got us up and she started us, uh, she started teaching us how to do some jazz steps. And I, for the life of me, can't remember them at this moment right now, except... Um, a pivot move, and, and the pivot move, you, you start off here, and then you go forward, and you lift your arms, and then you turn like this, and then you do this, and then something like that. I hope I, she'll correct me later today if I didn't do that right. But she started teaching us, and for an hour and a half, she taught us, and we would say, we're tired, we think we have that. No, you don't have that step down. Yeah, your hands are not in the right spot. Your fingers are not in the right position. You're, you need to do this, and you need to do that. For the next, I mean, we got tired. She wore us out. She's seven. This is not supposed to, but it, it, that's the way it was. She found a sense of purpose. She's learned something and she's sharing it with us. She's, she's got the capacity to lead us. In fact, some of you have, who've got young kids, your kids are really diving into who God is, Right? And you kind of look at them and you, you wonder, like, how do they hear God's voice in such a unique way? Let me encourage you to pay attention. Don't be afraid of letting your kids lead you to places. Some of you, you've got kids who are in their 20s. And faith is coming alive in them. Don't be afraid to let them lead you to places of new faith. In fact, encourage it, pray for it. See what God wants to do in you through your kids. Well, real faith, real love, real purpose. How do you play that out in your life? Um, we're going to show you a video that uh, every time I watch this video, I think uh, about cry. So, um, but it's just one way in which you can live out those elements. And as you watch this video, I would just ask you to, to begin to open up your heart and your mind and say, Lord, how would you have us in our family, whatever your family looks like, how would you have us live out real love, real faith, and real purpose? If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would you choose? Kylie Minogue. Oh. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Oh, God, I wouldn't have a clue. I oh, know, straight up. Yeah. Paul Hogan. Kim Kardashian. No, no, no. I'd like to have dinner with Justin Bieber. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's not coming to my house. No, um... <laughs> I'd have Bob Hawke. Dave Hughes. Barry Humphreys. Jimi Hendrix. People who have made a difference in the world, maybe Nelson Mandela at the dinner table. <laughs> 
don't know what he's going to say. I'm scared. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, oh. who would you choose? Probably our whole family, like a whole extended family. Mum and Dad. <sighs> Mum and Dad. Does it have to be a celebrity? Could it be family? We love it. We talk about how school is. We ask Mum and Dad how their day was. Family. Yeah, Mum and Dad. Family! Who would you guys like to have a dinner with? They just want to be with us mm. while they're eating food, which is pretty cool. They see us above everything. I'm going to get... Yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit of a message in it for me. Yeah. <laughs> What are we having for dinner?